0: Good morning. I have a story for you today. <clears throat> it is the pool heater. Richard Beringer spent his entire career as an auto worker for general. It spanned two moves over three decades, and in all that time, he never tired of cars. His first day on an assembly line was in October of 1963. As a new worker, he was assigned to one of the less desirable models, The first automobile he helped to build was a 1964 Impala station wagon. Not a particularly flashy model, but at the time, young Ricky was proud of his contribution to the American car culture. As his experience grew and he gained seniority, he made his way up to the pinnacle of auto worker prestige. He finished his career as a line supervisor on the Corvette assembly line. His retirement celebration He was presented a plaque which listed the vehicle identification number, VIN, of that first station wagon and the VIN of the final Corvette, marking a long relationship with cars. His retirement did not end that relationship. In the last few years of his career, after his children were grown and away from home, Richard had begun to restore classic cars. Retirement gave him the time to apply himself to his new hobby, with fewer distractions. His wife, Geraldine, everybody called her Jerry, was quite willing for Richard to spend his time with his cars, but she was very strict about a couple of things. Their home had a three-stall garage. Richard could park on the street if he wanted to, but her car had to have its space in the garage. The other two stalls he could fill as he pleased, but that was all. She knew her husband. If she didn't hold the line, pretty soon their suburban home, which she liked very much, would be surrounded by a host of project cars in various stages of decay or restoration. Two cars will have to be enough, she reasoned. If you want to work on more than that, you'll have to go back to work. The limit forced Richard to carefully plan each project. He would select a car and then proceed with a full restoration. Once the car was completely restored, he would enter it in a couple of local car shows. Then, if it did well, he would load the car onto a trailer and take it on the road to a nationally significant car show and auction. His vehicles always placed high and brought top dollar. And then a new adventure would begin. Richard often had a rough idea of what type of vehicle he was going to restore next but the final decision all depended on what he might find on his trip back. He would wind his way homeward from the auction, either tracking down the rumor of a potential car or simply winding his way through countless small towns and down many back roads looking for the car that would become his next project. He enjoyed those trips. He would pull over beside an old farm and use his binoculars to examine the cars sitting out in an overgrown field or stop at a cafe to buy a local paper and check for want ads. He would search until he found something worthy of all his effort, something he could make new again. Richard was four days into a trip home after a successful car car show and auction where he had taken Best in Show with a 1962 Buick Skylark two-door hardtop. When he found himself driving the home of Scott and Aaron Colford. Scott was also an amateur mechanic, but his interests ran toward heavier machinery. He preferred working on old excavation equipment to repairing cars with their tight engine compartments and complicated accessories. This interest had helped him choose a career, as well as an MOS in the National Guard. He trained as a heavy equipment mechanic with the army, and the money he earned with his guard unit helped support his habit of purchasing mechanical projects. Their home in the country allowed him plenty of space for his acquisitions, which were parked in a row along the edge of his property. Aaron, his wife of ten years, wasn't particularly charmed with the line of derelicts and refugees from the scrap heap, but Scott was a loving husband and a faithful provider and a good father. So she tolerated her husband's penchant for gathering projects. There were old cars, tractors, backhoes and trucks. Aaron's father had also enjoyed his mechanical projects and had even taught his daughter some basic mechanical skills as a young girl. So she was accustomed to the clutter. She tolerated her husband's hobby but negotiated one strict rule. If Scott was going to keep the vehicles around, they had to run. She made a bargain with him. On any Saturday that he was off, she could choose any vehicle in the row, and if he couldn't get it running by the evening, it had to go. If he did get it running, she made waffles for breakfast on on Sunday morning. She had envisioned it would be a good way to get rid of some of the excess, but after months of waffle breakfasts, she had to admit that her husband was an amazing mechanic. He somehow had always managed to coax the vehicle she chose to life. In theory, the equipment could have been put to good use. Scott, Scott planned to make money in his spare time using the equipment to do odd jobs for neighbors, But once he got involved in one of their projects, he never wanted to charge them more than enough to cover the fuel he had used. Since Scott's job as a mechanic for a major construction company paid well, Aaron didn't complain. The only thing Scott enjoyed more than helping his neighbors was helping his kids. He loved to see them outside using their imagination. His problem was he couldn't resist joining in and making their small projects into epic adventures. The treehouse, they had imagined, was little more than a pallet propped in a low-hanging branch until Scott joined in and it became a full-scale clubhouse with a working, more or less, elevator. The tire they wanted to hang in a tree for a swing morphed into a military-style obstacle course with cargo nets and a zip line. The kids loved each new project, although they often seemed to enjoy building with Dad more than playing with it when it was done. Scott didn't mind. When he spent time with the kids, he saw the world through their eyes and enjoyed getting to work together with them. One day at work, Scott was called out to a construction site to repair a vehicle that couldn't make it back to the shop. The construction project was nearly finished and the staging yard was being cleared out. Scott made the required repairs to the broken vehicle, then drove his service truck around the site just checking things out. He came upon a couple of workers digging a gigantic fiberglass tub out of the ground. He pulled over and watched for a few moments. Then seeing that the workers could use a hand, he jumped out of the truck and offered to help them. The huge tank was surprisingly light and with Scott's help, they were able to balance it on a large set of pallet forks attached to the front of a payloader. One worker carefully drove the awkward load across the staging yard, while Scott and the other employees steadied the load. They propped it up against a tree, and the driver got out of the loader, shaking a can of spray paint. What are you going to do with that, he asked Scott. We're going to paint free across it and hope that someone is foolish enough to want it, came the reply. You want to get rid of it? We never wanted it in the first place," growled the construction worker. "On every other worksite, we dig a holding pond and pond and line it with plastic. But here, that wasn't good enough. We had to get a custom fiberglass liner made." Scott was genuinely interested, and already thinking about how he could move the monstrosity home. "You'll have to explain," he said. "I haven't been on the job site much. I'm usually back at the shop." The worker didn't mind taking a little break, and maybe he sensed that he had a potential home for this white elephant. We did the directional boring on this job. So basically we drill horizontally underground. We pump water down to the drill and it flows back out of the hole. We add bentonite to the water so that it pushes out the dirt and gravel knocked loose by the drill. We strain the slurry that comes out and dump it into a holding pond and then we pump the water back down the drill. Like I said, we just, usually we just make a temporary pool and line it with waterproof material. But someone decided on this job we had to have a fiberglass liner for our holding pond. Now that we are done, the last thing we want to do is haul this tank somewhere else. The boss told me to try to give it away. He fixed his eyes on Scott and asked, why? Are you interested? It would make a great swimming pool for some kids. That's just what I was thinking, admitted Scott. Two nights later, Scott and a friend showed up to the site at 2 a.m. They had brought two trailers of approximately the same height. There was no way to secure the tank onto two moving trailers. They could only balance it on the trailers while they drove side by side all the way to Scott's house. By sneaking down back roads, they avoided attracting any official attention and made it home without incident. That weekend, Scott coaxed an old backhoe from his lineup to life. He dug up their side yard and by the end of the weekend had a swimming pool sitting next to the house. The kids were incredibly excited and watched as the flow from their garden hose slowly filled the pool. The autumn weather was unseasonably warm, and the kids were able to enjoy the pool for a couple of weeks before the weather outdoors ended thoughts of swimming. Admittedly, even on the warm days, the water in the pool remained too chilly for pleasant bathing, but Scott figured that by next year he could rig up some sort of pool heater. Just a few weeks later, Scott received word that his National Guard unit was being called up for a deployment. The unit was scheduled for a 12-month deployment to begin in February. Erin wasn't super excited about the news, but she had always known it might happen someday. The three older kids were getting to an age where they could really be a help with the two youngest siblings, and she knew she could hold down the fort while Scott was away. As Scott prepared to leave the family, he wished he had had enough time to get some sort of pool heater. Having something to keep the kids busy would be a blessing for Aaron, and the pool was easily in view of the house so she could monitor the kids while keeping busy in the house. Aaron told Scott not to worry about it, but by May, she was earnestly wishing that the pool was warm enough for the kids to use. Late one night, early in the morning in Scott's time zone, Aaron was on the phone talking with her husband when the subject of the pool heater came up. I really wish I could have rigged up a pool heater before winter came, Scott lamented. It would be nice to have something for the kids to do, Aaron agreed. We filled the pool, but it really is too cold for anything but splashing around or wading. I'm sorry, honey. I wish I could have gotten it done, Scott apologized. Aaron brightened up. Maybe I could do it, she suggested. Just tell me what to do and I can get it set up. Well, that's part of the problem, honey, clarified Scott. I'm not really sure what to do. I checked into regular pool heaters, but they are pretty expensive. I kind of hoped I could think up something to use that would be cheaper. It can't be that hard to heat something, suggested Aaron. Everything has heaters. It's not that easy, explained Scott. Aaron continued undeterred. I mean, like cars have heaters. Couldn't we just take one out of an old car and put it by the pool? You can't just pull a heater out of a vehicle. That's not how they work, protested Scott. But his voice trailed off. Actually, that is exactly how they work. You're brilliant, honey. Of course I am, said Aaron with a laugh. Over the next week, following Scott's instructions, Aaron went down the row of machinery with a battery pack and tried starting one after another of the decrepit vehicles. The first one to start was a dented up old station wagon. She drained the antifreeze, pulled it over to the edge of the pool and connected the lower radiator hose to a length of PVC pipe that ran to the bottom of the pool. She purchased a length of flexible hose, attached it to the car's water pump, and ran it to the edge of the pool. She added some gasoline to the old station wagon, found a halfway decent battery, installed it under the hood, and fired up the engine. With her kids standing around, anxiously waiting, she held her hand under the output hose. Nothing came out. That night she called Scott to discuss the malfunction and they decided that the water pump on the engine would need to be primed. Scott told her where to hook up a garden hose. The next afternoon she hooked up a hose, turned turned the water on, and then fired up the engine. A satisfying gush of water flowed out of the large hose at the edge of the pool, and it continued even when she shut off the garden hose. Within minutes, the water flowing into the edge of the pool was noticeably warmer than the water in the pool. The kids jumped in and started playing in the semicircle of warmer water radiating out from the hose. The system wasn't perfect, but it worked. The kids quickly learned how to start the pool heater, and with an area in which they could warm themselves, they were able to spend much longer in the pool. Aaron was delighted. Even though she still didn't completely understand the concept how a motor could be a pool heater, Scott tried to explain it by saying that the pool was being used like the car's radiator, which still didn't really make sense, but Erin didn't care. Whenever she needed a break, she would send Nolan, their oldest son, out to start the pool heater, buckle the little kids into their life jackets, and send them all out to the pool. In the blissful quiet, that would descend on the house, she would brew herself a cup of coffee and plop down in front of the window to relax while watching the kids play. She had to take gas cans with her almost any time she went to town because the old pool heater used quite a bit of fuel and sometimes the kids would play in the pool for several hours. She worried about the cost until she discovered that the kids would do just about any chore she came up with for a chance to earn more gas for the pool heater. On the refrigerator, she had a list of quart jobs, half-gallon jobs, and even a couple of full-gallon jobs, which the kids were happy to do any time the pool heater's gas gauge started to get close to E. It was a sunny afternoon in June when Richard caught sight of the pool heater he immediately noticed the old car sitting prominently in the yard of a rural home. Richard pulled to the side of the road and reached for his binoculars to examine the vehicle more carefully, when he realized that an old man sitting by the side of the road watching a yard full of kids playing in a pool was probably not a good idea. He debated driving on, but he really wanted a chance to look at the old station wagon more carefully. He decided to pull into the driveway and approach the house to ask for permission. As he got out of the pickup, he felt the eyes of five kids all staring at him. A boy, who looked a bit older than the rest, approached him. Is there something I can help you with? asked Nolan. "Um, Well, yes, I was interested in the car in your yard, admitted Richard. Oh, you mean the pool heater? smiled the boy. No, I mean, yes, I guess so. Are your parents home? Mom's in the house, Nolan offered. I'll get her. While the boy went to the house, Richard had a chance to examine the car. Everything looked so familiar, even though it had been years since he had seen this exact model. A smiling young lady approached him and offered her hand. I'm Aaron, she said. Nolan said you had a question about the pool heater. No, I, I mean, yes, but it's not a pool heater. Uh, never mind. I, I'm Richard. I was wondering if I could take a, a closer look at the station wagon there. Certainly, agreed Aaron. Richard approached the car and heard the hum of the, its idling engine. He saw the tubes protruding out from under the front of the car and started chuckling to himself. <laughs> it really is a pool heater. Aaron answered proudly, Yep, I hooked it up myself. Then, assuming he was interested in how to convert a car into a pool heater, she suggested, I can pop the hood and show you how I did it. Well, actually, I'm interested in it as a car. Do you mind if I take a closer look? Go ahead, she offered, and Richard walked directly to the driver's side windshield, where the VIN was located. He already knew that this was the exact model, but he was interested in what he could glean from the identification number. He examined the data plate and could just make out the numbers from under a half a century of accumulated dust. Do you mind if I make a call? I want to cross-check something, Richard asked. Go ahead, agreed Aaron, still a bit puzzled. Scott had assured her that the car wasn't really worth much. The transmission was shot, and he had just bought it in hopes of pulling the engine. But this stranger seemed to treat the car like it was a prize of some sort. She overheard him talking to someone named Jerry about a number on a plaque. He waited for a few minutes, and then a big smile crossed his face. This was his first car. He hung up the phone and pulled out a checkbook. Would be interested in selling your... Pool heater," he asked, with an ironic emphasis on the words. "I really don't know," I answered. "Kids use it almost every day. A real pool heater but he can't afford." Took that from writing in his checkbook. He tore out a check and said to Aaron. "Do you think this would convince you to sell?" Okay. All right. Just a second. Richard looked up from writing his check, writing in his checkbook. He tore out a check and offered it to Aaron. Do you think this would convince you to sell? She looked at the check and her jaw dropped. It read $6,400. Aaron began to protest. I know it's not worth anywhere near that much. My husband figured it couldn't be worth more than a couple of hundred for parts. It's worth it to me, assured Richard. Why? asked Aaron. This car may not look like much. It's not a classic sports car or some exotic one-of-a-kind collectible. But I'm sure of this. It wasn't made to be a pool heater. How do you know? persisted Aaron, still puzzled. I know. I made it. Sometimes circumstances leave us parked in the trees at the edge of life. If we want the world to value us, it seems like our only choice is to become a pool heater. Soon the world decides that if that's what we do, then that is what we are. We become trapped by our compromises and the expectations of those who surround us. But there is one who has a right to tell us we are not a pool heater, One who knows what we were meant to be. He knows because he made us. Paul said this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand for us.